<coughs> All right, everybody. Um, turn this off. I hope um, hope everyone's having a great week. Um, it's been a little bit interesting in the markets. We keep having big up days, big down days, and at the end of the week, I think for the whole month we've gone basically nowhere, right? Despite all the drama and trade wars and Trump fighting with the Fed and Iran acting up again and all of that, and we're basically where we started the month. So, um, just goes to show you, right? Focus on the longer term, the bigger picture. Don't get too caught up in each day's news because it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the long run. So I got the questions. Um, things are going good. So I gotta, I'll, get, I'll get started right away. And then um, I have some news at the end. Um, so I'll, I'll wait to the end though. So. Uh, question for your podcast. My son works for a company that manages malls all over the country, so you hear a lot, a lot about their problems. My question concerns Seritage. The thesis there is that they are taking rates from $5 to the low 20s per square foot. Supply and demand will rule the day, and only the very prime locations will get top dollar. I will also say that not all Sears locations will get top dollar. My local mall has a Sears, and they have been trying for a year and a half to get uh, AMC theaters to go in there, but nothing has happened. The stores know that they can negotiate these rates down. So my question is, does Seritage release data concerning what rates they are receiving for locations they are opening? If I am correct, there should be a drop in this metric. Um, so, so the number is a little bit off. The Sears locations, uh, they're doing four times. So they're taking about 3 to $4. I'm sorry, three times they're doing. They're taking 3 to $4, and they're coming out around $14 a square foot. And that's all in the, the 10 Qs. I don't know. I, they do not break it down by location, um, probably because people would be able to figure out who's paying what rent at what spot, and um, <clears throat> it, would, um, it would cause issues, and you know, just for comp- competitive reasons. So, but they don't break it down. So far, uh, there's been no fall off in that. That's pre- a pretty consistent... Um, number that they've been doing uh granted um not all the sears malls are in the best locations but uh, those won't be developed and they don't all own all of sears locations and and part of the issue and you know there was that lawsuit is that people were saying that lampert took the best locations from sears and put them into seritage so in that respect um, what they're developing are high-quality assets, and you know, honest, uh, you know, they're not going to put hundred million dollars into a Sears in Topeka in a lousy location that's been shut for three years because no one, no one lives there, no one shops there anymore. So, um, while the number might come down, um, given that they just got more properties from the Sears, depending where some of those properties are, uh, you know, you could see a fluctuation either way. So, you know, I guess. The issue is that they're not even really being fairly valued based on the results they have now. They have an immense amount of steer store to redevelop. So that their overall NOI metric is going to be raising consistently, consistently higher as they convert these stores. So I think it's a great, the economics for it are great long term. Now, whether they're converting at $3 to 14 or $3 to 12 that's not going to cause a drop off in their results because 
you're still you're still going up three four times in your rent at that location that you received from Sears. So they're going to see continued to improve results for quite some time, and they have a lot of properties to to uh, invest. If you look at the uh, the I think the AK has it. I know the 10Q does. Um, the list of properties that they're now, it's just, it's like two or three pages of properties that's developing right now. So they, that's which, which is why they stopped the dividend, um, which has hurt the stock, but it's the right move for longer term because they have so much property developed that they can just plow that money back into it, reinvest it. You know, they're not going to be a tax player for quite some time. Um, and then they just turn the spigot back on when they get to a certain level. So, you know, so... Your REIT income investors are not going to be in it right now. So demands are, the uh, results are going to keep improving. They're going to keep jumping, keep improving. And they're going to probably be a sort of boring stock uh, because REIT investors really aren't going to want to get into it without a yield. Right? They're, they're investing in that for the yield. So at some point, they'll turn it back on. And then you'll see a flood of people go back into the stock because of the results. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see it start marching higher consistently. Um, I believe you once owned Philip Morris back in the day. Ever looked into Altria? Is paying a great dividend maybe a good defensive play if when this economic set comes to an end? I mean that it, so I got this question this week. The next morning, we got the news about Philip Morris and Altria probably merging back together. Philip Morris International uh, and Altria getting together. So, I mean. My issue with Philip Morris right now is the whole Juul thing. I have a feeling, you know, these kids are vaping like crazy. You're seeing, you know, there's like popcorn lawn. There's like all these things that are happening. Kids are dying. You know, they don't have to light up a cigarette. They can vape anywhere. And they're probably vaping the equivalent of four packs a day and don't even know it. Um, So I'm really concerned that something like that may happen with Altria. Um, and I'm, I, I just, I don't know. That's, you know, you to back, you know, this is, this is an interesting story about the litigation. So I first invested in Philip Morris, uh, after the, I think it was a $200 billion settlement with the tobacco companies, um, back in late nineties, early two thousands. I don't remember the exact date. And the stock was in low single digits. And the, the, everyone got out of the stock. Everyone said, we just put big tobacco out of business. Uh, they're all going under. We finally were these tobacco companies. And if anyone had read the settlement and read what was in it, that settlement was the best thing to ever happen to the tobacco companies. Because what happened was, as they paid off this, these billions of dollars. So it wasn't just Philip Morris. It was Philip Morris, Reynolds America. And it was all the big tobacco companies who were, who were involved in the settlement. As they paid off the, the, the $200 billion, it was paid off over time. Cities and towns then immediately borrowed money. Right? They were, they were, they were selling bonds on this. They, they sold bonds off the revenue from the tobacco companies. So you said they were using the tobacco money to pay off the bonds that they sold that were backed by that revenue. So if they put the tobacco companies out of business, those bonds would default. And then they, <laughs> they couldn't do it. So then, and additionally, they come out with all these rules and laws saying that, um, you know, 
how you could advertise. No more TV advertising. No more advertising during kids shows. I don't think they can even advertise the news and, um, and uh, magazines anymore. They basically gutted advertising um, avenues for the tobacco companies. And people are like, see, that's why companies are screwed. They can't advertise. Sales are going to collapse. Well, what happened? It, it, they basically eliminated any possibility of a new tobacco company coming in. They, ma they made it an oligopoly. They basically cemented, and they couldn't even compete with each other, right? They have to, you had to basically buy NASCAR signs. <clears throat> so it was amazing, and, and it just it just entrenched these tobacco companies and made them great businesses to invest in for a very long time. It was it was incredible. Um, I don't know. That was kind of a weird segue, but I'm sorry. So back to this. So, but I think this jewel thing could be a serious problem down the road. Um, I know we're just in the infancies of it. <clears throat> and I'm wondering if this is part of the reason uh, Philip Marshall and National Tree want to get together. You know, I don't, I don't know, um, but I'm concerned about it. And they took a huge stake, and I think it took a 40% stake in Jewel. Um, and you know, maybe selling that as part of the merger is going to be, or get, dumping that stake is going to be part of the merger. But I don't think they're going to get anywhere near what they paid for it. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's the dust needs to clear on that one. So, um, oh, and they also have, a, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I missed it. Um, also, they have a 45% stake in Kronos, Canadian cannabis company, yes. Kronos, in turn, plans to acquire a stake in Redwood, a maker of hemp-derived CBD-infused skincare and other products. Was thinking this may be another way to go, along with IPR, to play, albeit indirectly, the growing cannabis market. One has to think a powerhouse of wants a big piece of the action of the future. Yes, get rid of the jewel. They're gonna get. They're gonna. They're gonna be a powerhouse in the cannabis business. There's no question about it. They're, it's the same thing. Right? It's it's a plant. Um, the hemp market is gonna be enormous now that they can grow it. Um, I don't know what you know about hemp, but hemp. Can, I could go on for an hour about hemp. You could you could almost do anything in the world with hemp, um, and it's a sturdy crop. It grows like a weed. Farmers are, from what I've heard. Farmers are going to be planting hemp next year instead of soybeans uh, because it's a sturdier crop. You don't have to worry about the weather as much. It requires less water. It grows rapidly, and there's multiple growing seasons. You, know, you grow it to a certain level. You cut it down. It grows again. You're not replanting every single year. Um, so for the farmers, the economics of it are fantastic. Um, I, I guess while I'm here, so... This, that is getting in the cannabis business. I, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the phone, but the, things have kind of advanced. So while we're on this question, I'll just go ahead and talk about it. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times about investing in private cannabis companies. Um, and in my opinion, that's, the, that's where the, 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 that's the massive money is going to be made right now. Um, it's, I'm, I'm looking at this as akin to the uh, internet uh, back when Microsoft and all these guys were just starting. Uh, the things that are happening in the space from CBD to cannabis, the technology side of it, um, the research development side of it, the medicinal side of it is is really staggering. Um, I know a couple of you guys have reached out and I've put you in contact with people, but um, I'm working with a group that's actively raising money to get into this group. So if you guys are interested in being on the ground floor, some of this cannabis stuff, um, some of these small cannabis, you know, you have, you have, um, 
you have cannabis dispensaries doing a million dollars a week in sales in Massachusetts. It, the money is, is, is just staggering what's happening. Um, and like, and, and, you know, in a weird way, like the um, Altria situation, the way the states have set this up so heavily regulated is that competition becomes tough. So once you're in, you're in. Out-of-state competition is very tough. It's highly regulated. Um, and this, the towns want their revenues. They want their tax revenues. And so they're going to make sure it works. It's, it's, um, indirectly make sure it works. So, um, yeah, so if any, you know, reach out to me, send me an email. Um, we are raising money through September 23rd. Uh, the opportunities are just, I've never seen anything like it. So um, that just quite just led me into that. Um, do you think there'll be at least a 50% chance that the GSC announcement will come out in the next week? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a 50% chance it might come out next month. I mean, um, I think the fact that, you know, the White House is saying they have it and they want to do something, it, it's, it's not collaborative saying this is my goal. Now it's gone on from Treasury's done with it, FHA's done with it, it's at the White House, and that's the White House saying they want to get it out. Um, you know, I still is, in my mind, the single best time. If you're going to put it out in September, today's the best day to do it. I mean, you got a long three-day weekend. People got, you know, 72 hours plus to digest it before the market opens, to talk about it, to debate it, to do what they got to do with it. I mean, it's, you can't ask for a better time. Will it happen? I have no idea. But I think if you're going to try and release it and do as much, as little upheaval, right, because people are, if they announce it on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, it's going to change a lot of things going forward. And people are going to have to instantly start repositioning portfolios and mortgage rates are going to go haywire for a few days. We'll figure it out. It's just, it could really disrupt things. So I think you have to let it out on a Friday. And why not on a first three-day weekend? I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, you know, it makes sense to me. Horizon now owns 30 point. 30.93% of TPL shares. Vote is 95.5%. Horizon based on trust papers. Can call the stockholders meaning to require the vote on trustees or block the conversion to a corporate ratio from a, from a corporation from a trust if not acceptable. The current two trustees appear to be self-dealers who are wasting trust money. When do you see Horizon do something to address these issues? What is the range value of the TPL parts of the market? Okay, so Horizon, I think I don't think Horizon owns 30%. I think Horizon and Softfest and the group they're in owns 30% because uh, they've all been buying. So I think um, Horizon's st still a little bit underneath. Um, Horizon, based on trust papers, can call the stockholder meaning to acquire. So right now, nothing's happening because right now they have a committee, right, that is examining whether or not they should convert to a trust. So in those agreements... Everyone, the lawsuits were all dropped. Everyone agreed that they're not going to, you know, petition anyone for this. They can't call the vote to do it. Um, they agreed not to do it. You know, there's gag orders and things like that. So there's not a lot they can say about it. And the group has to have its work done by December 31st. So I don't think we're going to hear much at all from TPL uh, until December 31st. Um, regarding this conversion to a C-Corp. Um, what is the range? To, so, that, so I think that's a very difficult, that's the reason for converting to the C-Corp. It's very, very difficult 
to do a really deep dive some of the parts on TPL when you have no information. I mean, their last 8K, they released it. They released two numbers, revenues and profits, reach division, right? There was no expense, break, no expense breakdown, no, no, um, uh, no breakdown of what they spent money on, how much they spent in each division. You know, I'm guessing the reason that revenues went up, but profits went down to a loss was because um, profits went down, not to a loss, I'm sorry. Uh, profits went down is because they were spending so much money in the, uh, the trying to avoid a shareholder vote for Horizon. So it, do, doing some of the parts is guesswork. So you have to kind of sit back and look at it. It's like, what is TPL? TPL is basically, if you want to look at it one way, it's a long-term call option on oil production in the Permian that never expires and costs you, you know, that's what it is. Because the more oil that comes out of the Permian, the more they're going to make. The higher oil prices go, the more they're going to make. Um, then you have the water business, which is revenues are exploding in the water business and profits are there. But again, we don't, we don't know. So you almost have to look at TPL as what do you, th you almost look at TPL as the Permian, right? Because they are the largest landowner on the Permian. They've they, you know, been there for a while and they have water business in the Permian. They, have, they own the land, they have the land rights. They're getting royalties off the shipment of this. They're getting royalties. All these pipelines going through the Permian are going to be paying them royalties too now. Everyone's, the, 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 everyone's rushing to put pipelines in the Permian to get the oil, oil and gas out faster. And they're going to be making more money off that. So if you think that oil activity in the Permian and the production of oil, don't go by rig counts anymore because, um, well, I mean, pay attention to them, but they're not what they used to be. Um, the advances that they are making in fracking and the technology, the technology uh, they're getting so much more out of each well that rig counts, rig counts have gone down in the Permian, but production keeps hitting records. So rig counts aren't what they used to be. You know, obviously if they collapse, that's something you want to pay attention to. But, you know, oil should not be going up and down any significant amount each week based on recounts. And they've been actually pretty stable in the Permian. So, you know, you're talking one or two difference a week usually. Um, so when you look at T TPL, you're looking at do you think over the next two, three, four years, that the U.S. will be producing more oil and more gas from the Permian? Yes, I do. If that's so, their earnings will keep rising. Do I think that with that production, this water business, which is a gold mine, is going to have to materially ramp up um, its capabilities, and with that will come a huge jump up in revenue and profits from that? Yes, I do. Do I think that the, 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 other, the other businesses are, you know, like renting land to farmers and stuff like that? And that that's kind of is what it is. Um, but are we going to still need to fill these farmers for this? Absolutely. You know, what could hurt it? You know, obviously flood stuff like that, but there's insurance for that. So I, I, I do believe the Permian is, you know, it is now the largest oil field in the world. And... You know, Exxon's putting $20 billion in it. Chevron's putting $15 billion. And they're just throwing billions and billions of dollars to build out the infrastructure in this area, and they get a piece of it. 
So a long term, I think it's I think it's good. I think long term, the price is much higher. This is only selling at like twenty times earnings. I mean, it's not even like it's selling at forty times earnings. We're getting something growing at this rate in this area at a slightly higher multiple than the market, or at the market multiple. I haven't checked the the PE on it recently, um, and we're doing that with it being a black box. You know, who knows if we convert to a C corp, what kind of changes we can make if we got a CEO in there instead of two trustees not from the oil and gas business who has sold the oil and gas business I mean operating results could would more likely than not significantly improve and they're still buying back the stock so this is basically the company is buying back going to buy, eventually buy back all its stock and the shareholder count is going to keep shrinking and you know they're not buying it back now because obviously you know, they spent all that money on on uh, the the proxy fight, um, but there's lots of ways to profit much higher from this. And I really think that in a couple of years, stocks will be significantly higher than it is. Um, I really hope they win the C corp thing. But I guess the flip side of that is, if they don't, <clears throat> then you have Horizon on the board. If they don't win it and they do not do the conversion. Horizon depends what Horizon says. Maybe Horizon would agree. You know, we shouldn't do. It. We should keep this a trust. But you know, we're going to expand the number of trustees, and you know, we're going to have someone on the board, and we're going to be more. We're going to start putting forth more um, disclosure on items, things like that. There's lots of things that could happen. It doesn't have to convert to C corp for it to get better. Um, if they just kept it a trust and just reported like a C corp, right? That would require. Um, more qualified people to be, I think, doing that than who's doing it now. So, uh, sorry. Um, let's see. What do I think of Michael Burry's recent um, long on GameStop? So I was short GameStop for years. It finally broke. It went down. Um, I don't. So GameStop is so you know GameStop is suffering. GameStop is suffering the same thing as Blockbuster, right? You used to, have, you used to always have to go and buy your games. Now you just download it and you play it online. You know everyone knew this day was coming, and GameStop is sort of you know what can they do, right? They they sell games and they you know they tried selling gaming consoles that didn't work. Um, they tried some other things, uh, doing iPhone repairs, iPod repairs. They have a lot of real estate. They have very low cost and they have a decent amount of cash, but their core business is is shrinking. And there's, you know, I, and I haven't followed it deeply um, until after I sold it. But you know, results haven't gotten better. It comes up in every value screen in the world. But the problem is that the fundamental business. You know, maybe he wants to buy it and convert them to some completely different thing. You know, maybe he wants to just do it and um, say that, uh, um, you know, this, this should be this business or whatever. Or I, don't know what he, I don't know what he wants to do. I just don't see it. I, I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. So maybe he says something I don't. But, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be putting money into GameStop. There's, there was, I haven't, they've had, I don't know, three or four different CEOs. And every CEO had, this is exactly like Blobster. Every CEO had a different plan. And none of them really worked. Now, their good news is they, they're not buried in debt like Blockbuster was. So they can survive for a while. 
I mean, they, they are, you know, somewhat profitable company, although less and less and less every year. And they have been buying back stock. Um, but, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have a mountain of deck under the blockbuster did. They just, just crushed it. Um, regarding Callaway, um, they are now selling Topco. You said previously buy and sell current, both are good. What? You said previously buy and current. Okay, previously I said buy. And currently I'm saying sell, both are good. I am confused. Could you please elaborate more on this? So it's a rumor that they're selling Topgolf, number one. There's no definitive plan. Uh, that rumor was put out by an analyst who uh, went to an analyst meeting and Topgolf was in, their in the presentation last year and it's not in it this year. You, know, you also have the activist hedge fund talking to them about things and you know, the, obviously the the easiest thing to do, right, would be to sell the Topgolf stake and you could probably buy back 20% of the stock. And that would cause the stock price to jump really good, assuming they could get what they could get for it. Um, I previously, am, I've been very happy with Topgolf. I didn't want them to sell it a couple years ago because I knew there was so much more value to be had in it. I do think down the road, there's even more value to be had with it. But again, that all comes down to pricing. And if they can get enough money for it to buy back 20, 25% of the stock, then you know what? I'll take the increase in price. The stock, the stock will jump, it'll surge. And maybe I'll sell it, whatever. I mean, you know, we've been, we've gone through Chip Brewer before. He sold, you know, we made a boatload of money in Adams Golf. And he sold Adams Golf. And we made even more money on it. And I was upset that he sold Top Golf at the time because... You know, I thought it had a brighter future, but, you know, whatever. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to cry about making, I don't know, 200% in a stock instead of 220 a year, a year later. There's other opportunities to put stocks in. So, um, and it all comes down to price. If, you know, if, if they sell half of it for $1 billion, I think it's a waste, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. If they can get all of it, or maybe this hedge fund wants to take it off their hands or sell it to private equity or do whatever they want to do with it. Um, sell it back to Top Golf for whatever whatever reason, then you know. And if you're going to buy back the stock, that's good. If they're going to sell Top Golf and buy another clothing manufacturer, that's not going to really excite me, right? Um, you know, it's to me that's like, you know, it's clear Top Golf isn't being factored into the value of the stock. So they want to unlock that value. Well, do you, you know, if they sell it and buy back stock, I'm fine with it. If they want to sell it and, you know expand their clothing line in Japan or, you know, buy another re niche retailer in Europe or something like that, that doesn't really excite me. You know, I haven't really had the best of luck with retailers. And, you know, a lot of people have had bad luck with retailers. I, you know, we've had some really nice wins and we've had a few really disasters. So I'm really not overly thrilled with the thought of being in a golf company that's becoming more and more of a, uh, a, a clothing retailer just because of the the business itself. So if that happened, I would, I would, you know, probably be inclined to sell the stock and unless it was some mega retail deal or some, something really exciting. Um, but that's just, I, that was, and, and, and these are my thoughts right now. All right. This, if a deal is announced and depending on the price and depending on what they say they're going to do with the proceeds, then that would be, you know, my, my mind may change. So, you know, just because two or three years ago, I said they should not sell Top Golf and they should keep it. Doesn't mean three years later 
when it's appreciated to a great amount and still not being captured in the price of the stock, um, they could liquidate that stake and drive the stock price way higher by buying back a boatload of shares. So just you know, just because you feel something at one point doesn't mean it can't change as the facts change, right? You have to change them as the facts change. You know, if, if all of a sudden, you know, Top Golf has three or four new competitors in the market, well, that sort of diminishes their future growth. So that might hurt the valuation of Top Golf. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I know there are a couple, but they're much smaller, and they're, I don't really don't think they're kind of as cool as Top Golf. But even still, regarding Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac's administration reform plan. Do you think it's possible that Congress will block or reject it if they don't like it? What's the risk here? Um, so, well, I, so if they don't change the charters, which it increasingly is looking like they're not going to do, then they could do most of it administratively. They wouldn't need much from Congress. Because FHFA under HERA basically has carte blanche to do what it wants with them. The only reason they can't release them right now is because of obviously Treasury is the cash guy right now. Um, obviously, the president would have to sign off on whatever they do, right? Um, if he doesn't want to do it, he could just bury it, bury it. So the White House has to be behind it. If it's at the White House, and we have to assume Treasury and FHFA have, you know, colluded on it, and they're both behind it, right? They were working on it. FHFA worked on it, gave it to Treasury. Treasury worked on it with FHFA and sent it to the White House. So we have to assume Mnuchin and Calabria are both on board. So I don't think there's a huge... I, I guess you'd have to say, you'd have to be pretty sure Congress is going to want something to say on it, right? I mean, Congress is going to want some sort of say. They're going to hold hearings. You know, you've got to do the whole dog and pony show, right? Because we're coming up to an election. So, you know, we have one side going to have to say how uh, this is saving the housing market for the future, making it safer than ever. And the other side is going to have to say that we could potentially be setting us up for another housing crash because this, this pen is whatever. You know, so we're going to have to go through all that crap just because that's just the way politics is. Um, but I don't know what they can do to block housing reform. Um, you know, if now, if they wanted to completely change the charters and da 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 da, then that would be something Congress would have to do. But it's increasingly sounding like, and I think I mentioned this last week, the former CEO, uh, Layton, uh, wrote a paper and he said that according to Treasury, that reform's basically done, which means they're not going to need Congress. You know, they've made a lot of changes over the years. The, the GSCs weren't. The fundamental business of insuring mortgages, that business didn't hurt them. It's when they started doing all this other interest rate stuff and this sort of arbitrage stuff in a rush to do profits, that got them in trouble. And, you know, we could probably have a 17-hour um, podcast on the, whether the conservatorship was really necessary. Um, you know, actually, you know, the Gave them 185 billion actual losses over the entire time of the housing crisis. I think 30 or 40 billion, which they had the cash for. So you know you can argue technically they didn't even have to go into conservatorship, and you could argue that putting in a conservatorship without a lot of money was a basically a backdoor bailout for the banks because you know they kept buying loans to service at you know 
hundred cents on the dollar instead of sixty-three or forty cents on the dollar they're going for in the open market. So in that way, they bailed out the banks for more losses. And again, we can we again we can do this for for probably days at a time. So I'm not going to get into it, but you don't really need to reinvent the wheel here. You have to just basically stop them from doing what they did before. They've done some de-risking. The, the portfolios are much smaller than they used to be. You know, it could, you know, we don't, we don't have to do it. And I, think, and I think reinventing the wheel would be the most disruptive thing possible. You know, I think the Corker plan was crap and, you know, he was, he was self-interested in it. And, you know, I don't, even the Warner plan, I didn't like the Crapo plan was decent. Uh, there's a congressman here in Massachusetts who's a, uh, what's his name? He's a loudmouth. Um, I, I I don't like him at all, but I I think he had the best plan. You know, just you know, make some minor tweaks and let him go. Get him back on the public market. Um, and that you know, he filed that bill obviously years ago, and it's got, it's gone nowhere. Um, but you know, I I don't think the risk of Congress blocking reform is big. Because I think even Congress knows that if they really start to monkey with it, that they could then they could hurt the housing market. And I also think that Congress, on something this big, I think Congress is going to want to just kind of step back and wash their hands of it, right? Because what's the risk? If it goes well, the housing market just continues on, right? And everyone, they can all find a way to slap themselves on the back that, yes, we consulted with Treasury, we agreed to the plan, you know, da da da, da. we worried about markets, whatever. They can, they can all take a victory lap if it goes well, but nothing really happens. If it goes bad, right, it could be a shit show, right? If mortgage rates go up to 7% and, you know, home buying stalls and that starts to cause we go into a recession, right? Who the hell wants to have had a hearing on that where they didn't stop that from happening? So I could totally see Congress just, just washing their hands of it so that if it goes bad, they have someone else to blame. And I can blame Trump. Yeah, so I don't think any Democrats are going to hold it up. Because if it goes bad, there's, there's their election next year. You know, Trump's this housing guy, this builder, this construction guy, and he, did, he screwed up the GSEs, and now housing's crashing again, and we're in a recession. You know, there's no way he should be president. That's, you know, that's, that's, that would be their entire platform for the next election. And no president wins re-election in a recession. I think it's seven for seven. Um, and I think if you go back to the last 18 presidential elections, um, what was the statistic? Oh, yeah, 18 presidential elections. The only time the incumbent president lost was in a recession. That's it. It's really that simple. If the, uh, you know... They re-elected Nixon, Reagan, George Bush was in a recession, he lost. Clinton came in, W came in, recession. Although, he didn't lose, you know, obviously the Republicans lost because we were in a recession when at the next election. Um, Bush didn't. So if, you know, you, you know, obviously nothing ever correlates forever. But if we are in a recession next year, we'll have a new president. Um if we are not in a recession next year, we'll probably have the same thing now. Now, Congress doesn't necessarily follow that. Um, Congress changes quite a bit. So 
you know, there's no real, we don't know what we'll have for a Congress next year. Um, but that's, it's pretty simple. So I, you know, I don't, this is a really long winded answer, but I don't think Congress is going to try and block something. I, I can actually just see Congress washing their hands of it and, you know, the Democrats praying it goes bad, the Republicans, you know, just kind of ignoring it. If it goes bad, they can say, well, they didn't consult Congress. They decided to, you know, either, either way, both parties in Congress have cover if it goes bad by not doing anything and just letting it go out. So that's, um, that's where I am with that. Um, where else? Let me check the emails real quick. Um, Sometimes I get some late ones, and I do not want to leave it out because I, I left one out again last week, and I'm just, I get annoyed when that happens because I know you're right in a minute. Sometimes you send them out on Monday, and then you listen on Friday, and you don't even get the damn question. So I want to go through. I'm, I'm 99% sure I got all of them, but let's see if there is a late one coming in. Ah, there we go. One additional question for podcast. Do you have any comments on today's big price drop for IIPR? Um, it, it does this, you know. Um, I don't have any concerns about the business. You know, who knows? It could be one large hedge fund liquidating a stake. It's not a highly traded stock um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, let me see. Yeah, I mean, it's, they don't, it doesn't trade much volume at all. So, you know, it doesn't take much for the price to be done. If you, if you go back in the, go back in the chart, go back to look to, you know, to, to, to even when we bought it, you know, we've had several large drops. It just tends to go that way. And then it shoots higher and it drops and then it shoots higher and it drops. So, you know, I, I mean, I know earnings are going to be great. I know growth is going to be exceptional when they report. Um, I have no, con- no, no, no confidence. I have no doubt of any of that. So eventually the stock will, will, will um, reflect that growth. Um, you know, maybe someone's thinking they're going to issue, raise more, share, raise more cash. Um, I really don't think that they have to right now unless the deal flow. I mean, this goes back to the, the private uh, cannabis thing that I'm doing also. The deal flow in this space is incredible. I mean, just look at this company alone. Every time we hear them talk, they're, I mean, they're, they went from 100 million, they went from 50 million in progress at 100 million expectation to one quarter later saying uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's 55 and done in 200 million. I mean, they doubled their deal flow in a quarter. I mean, the, the, the activity and the deal space and the money flowing into it and the, the profits being had in it right now are just absolutely exceptional. And only 33 states have legalized, I might, I might be wrong, I might be 34 right now, uh, have legalized medicinal. And I think 12 uh, recreational. And even the states that have legalized medical, 
it's not, it's not, and most of them, it's not full legalization. Like there's a lot of restrictions. So as those restrictions come down, there's room for even more growth. And there's room for even more private companies to be invested in. There's room for, it's just, it's just, it's, it's stunning. And we've had some big missteps in the public market, some of the players, you know, uh, illegal growing facilities in Canada. And, um, you know, the CEO of Canopy got fired uh, because Philip Morris wants profits. Um, and that has really hurt the whole sector. The sector kind of trades in unison. You know what I mean? It's kind of rare to see one stock going way up and all the rest going down. It just, it, it, because it's so new, it just kind of trades like that. Um, and IIPR gets caught up in that, you know, it's a, it's a marijuana wheat. So people just assume, oh, you sell it, you know, because cannabis not having, doesn't have profits. So, you know, you get a lot of that, just reflex action. And then, and then when the stock is that thinly traded, it really doesn't take a lot to affect the price either way. So, um, you know, again, long-winded answer, but, you know, I think three, four, five years, this thing's going to be so much higher than it is now. I just, I'm very, very excited for it. So, um, they're, you know, they're both, the, they're both a bank and, uh, and a landlord to these places. And they don't touch the plant. That's a key point. They don't touch the plant. So they don't have any liability of any of the other one, um, like any of the other uh, um, uh, companies in the space. So it's, it's a very, very exciting time, you know, um, in cannabis and the side, you know, CBD and, and hemp and all these. These are, new, these are brand new multi-billion dollar industries that are basically popping up overnight. And as each state looks at the state next to it, seeing record, you know, $30 billion in additional tax revenue coming into their state, um, it's, it's just, they're, they're all going to want it. They're, eventually it's going to happen. So, you know, I, it's, 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 it's exciting. And, you know, I don't, I don't get really I don't get really worked up about short-term price swings or daily price swings unless they're accompanied with some kind of news. Right? I mean if um you know if there was bad news or if something happened then I would be concerned but you know the news has been solid the news has been good. I haven't seen or heard anything and everything I seen here everything I look at every press release is we've acquired this facility we've acquired this facility we've acquired this facility. So it's it's all good as far as I'm concerned. So, um, so that's I think I've been going on for a little bit too long again. Let me let me double check here, and I think that that is the the last question. Yeah, 43 minutes. So we'll wrap it up. So holiday weekend. I hope everyone has an amazing Labor Day weekend. Um, I hope uh, I hope back to school for all your kids was an enjoyable time. It's always a pretty big change. Things go quiet pretty quick. <laughs> like the neighborhood uh, is silent during the day now. It's it's always a weird thing. So, but I hope everything's going well. Hope everyone's possible. Reach out for me if you need anything. Just send me an email, and we can chat. And I will talk to you guys later.